to Who Says, the podcast for mental health professionals who dare to ask, who says it has to be done this way? Join me in conversation with innovative mental health professionals who are thinking outside of the box and challenging the status quo. I'm Kalinta Blanche, your host and mental health OT with over a decade of experience. Through my years working for a clinic and in my own private practice, I've learned that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to mental health. It's time we challenge the norms, break free from the cookie-cutter methods, and embrace new horizons. If you find yourself standing at the crossroads wondering, who says it has to be done this way? Or daring to ask, who says I can't try something new? You've come to the right place. Get ready for eye-opening conversations, inspiring stories and innovative ideas from those who've also dared to ask, who says it has to be done this way? Let's jump right in. Catherine is a mental health OT with years of public and private experience under her belt. She also completed her coaching qualification at UCT's Graduate School of Business in 2016. As a self-employed mother and wife, she knows the importance of a balanced lifestyle and is dedicated to implementing the strategies and tools she teaches in her own life. Kath is such a calm, intuitive person that every conversation I have with her leaves me feeling grounded and refreshed. This interview serves as an important reminder that you can't pour from an empty cup. This conversation is so juicy and touches on so many topics of private practice and the therapist as a therapeutic tool, which is why it's so important to take care of ourselves. I highly recommend you listen to this one and then afterwards do something fun for yourself. Hi everyone and welcome. Today we have Catherine Valentine. So she is a colleague and a friend of mine. And we actually met when we were both clinical supervisors at UCT. And what I loved about Catherine is that day she realized we were both in private practice. And as we walked out, she immediately opened her diary and she's like, when can we have coffee? And she put it in. And from there, we just started a a relationship. So really, thank you for your time. And thank you for being here, Kath. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Colleen. It's so lovely to connect always with you. Mm -hmm. So this podcast is all about thinking outside of the box, maybe challenging the status quo, um, thinking differently, whether it's about mental health treatment, about private practice. Um, so I'd love if you just shared some of your professional journey with the audience and yeah, wherever you think it fits in with these themes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I qualified kind of... Um, similar time to you, a little bit before, in the mid-2000s, so it was 2006 I qualified, and I think right from the get-go in terms of OT, I was somebody who was a little bit outside of the box, so um, you all know from, you know, those days, OT was very well known in the pediatric practices um, Mm. and in physical health, and I actually went into OT, I think as a lot of OTs do, thinking about pediatrics. And um, in, really, really enjoyed my mental health block. So from CompServe already, I applied to one of the only psych hospitals um, in the area that I wanted to be in. And so started my career um, in CompServe doing psychiatry. 
Um, oh, that's lovely. I, I, yeah. Sorry, I didn't realize you started your comms about mental health. That's really yes, nice. Yes, I did. And it was a forensic psych hospital too. So, um, so. you know, that was really like throwing throwing oneself in the deep end. <laughs> so mm. it was great. I really loved it. Um, and then um, I started my career in the public service. So after ComServe, um, came back to Cape Town and started working at Falkenberg Hospital, um, one of our big hospitals here. And yeah, during that time is when when you and I met, and then I, I think you you kind of had a more of the the private experience. Mm. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was um, at Crescent Clinic, a private psychiatric hospital, and yeah. you had the public experience. Exactly, but both of us being in hospital settings because that's really mm. where it was uh, possible, and um, it was you know it was well supported in terms of working in mental health um mm. I didn't know of any if 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 there were any um OTs working in private practice that time who were doing mental health so so yeah so I think it's common you know at, at that time to work within a clinic setting or, or in a hospital setting and so um yeah I think in terms of that that for me was one of the boxes that um, I eventually then broke out of because um, I became a mom within my time at, at Falkenberg and was just really, I really, really loved the outpatient side of things and um, established like an outpatient group there um, within the ward and did a lot of individual case management. And I was really kind of thinking about how can I take this into something that is going to better support me um, going forward because with my schedule and with being a mom um, and my husband travels a lot so like working full-time or working full-time just started to be a little bit difficult Um, Mm. and so at that time I I think for me thinking outside of the box was like what can I add to my skill set so that I can be marketable because there was no OTs marketing themselves in this field and there was no really um people to speak to about how how can I pave the way for myself what can I, what can I do um, mm. and so I went and I did my coaching certification because at that time I myself was involved with quite a, a few different coaches and um, you know in this trying to figure out what I was going to do with my career um, I found that that was really something that I enjoyed so I added that to my skill set and then, yeah, I think, sorry, I think we met when you were at the end of your coaching certification and you were just try, starting to see coaching clients. And right. yeah, and it's so interesting what you're saying that like firstly, being a mental health OT, where I think lots of us go to study OT and we think we're going to be peds OTs and then wanting to be a mental health OT in private practice, there were just no, there's just wasn't a model for that at the time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I thought to myself, and I think, you know, in our early, when we when we first met each other, we had a lot of conversations about this and also um, with other OT colleagues about um, how, you know, how do I create a brand for myself as an OT? Um, and so my kind of go-to was okay well I'm just going to brand myself as a life coach because everyone seems to be understanding what it is that they do um and then yeah I think as I traveled that journey 
um, the part of me that is an OT started to realize that I'm not actually a life coach. I'm an OT with a, a coaching skill set that I sometimes use for the clients that it's appropriate for. Yeah, so that's been a little bit of a journey for me in terms of in my private practice, which I started officially in 2017. Um, it's been an evolution of creating a brand and identity for what it is that I do and, and building relationships with people um, to, yeah, to, to let them know how they can utilize my services. Mm. Yeah. And Kath, what, what made you take that step? Go, okay, I'm going to actually leave Falkenberg and try this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. That's a really nice story. I actually, um, I love telling the story. It happened when I was one day driving. Um, I don't know if you know, as you go down to Musenberg beach, like there's a little, um, road that you've got to go underneath a little bridge where the railway line goes yes, over. So you, yeah. go, you, you kind of drive underneath the bridge. And as I was driving that road one day, I just looked up and somebody had made like graffiti there and it said you can do anything or you can have every, anything, but you can't have everything. Something like that. Mm -hmm. It was like this quote, you can have anything, but you can't have everything. And for some reason that quote, was, it just like smacked me on the forehead. I was like, if I can have anything... I'm trying to think about how I can manage all these things that I'm, you know, all my roles. I love working. I didn't want to give working up, love being a mom, but the two were just not really gelling together at the time. And I realized, well, kind of what that, that statement made me want to challenge it. I was like, I, I, I want to have both these things and I can have both these things and I will have both these things. And so I, it was about figuring out within the anything that I could have, what was my everything and mm. how do I make that work? Because um, I needed to be very clear about what were the aspects of all the things that I wanted to have that were important and valuable to me. So, yeah, so, so that was kind of the initiator of taking the steps but it was it was I, I was kind of well supported in, in then figuring out okay well which parts of this do I want to take it and initially that meant um starting my practice up very slowly you know building one one or two clients at a time um, and working a lot on relationships with people um I was somebody who loved working in a team so I quite quickly started networking with people and um, and figuring out who was doing what and um one of the things that I started in that year 2017 which is still um, really important to me is a network for different health practitioners who are in private practice so not only OTs because I've, we've got our lovely OT networks but for other allied health professionals like social workers and psychologists but also complementary health practitioners who kind of are adjacent to mental health so that's a really beautiful space that was created out of that understanding what are the things that are important to me that I want to build into this career that I'm going to kind of forge for myself mm. I love how you take that quote because it's one of my favorite quotes as well um you can have anything you want but not everything you want but I love that question of what is your everything what is my everything and how can you actually have that and maybe it meant not you know a full-time position at Falkenberg but still that your job was important for you and there's a way that you could maintain elements of that. And then that thing of building slowly, I think so often we think these things, 
oh, maybe let me speak for myself. I, I felt like things would just fall into place quickly, but it actually takes a while and some intentional, like knowing what do I want to keep, what do I want to let go of, what are the building blocks, especially when we're building a private practice, that we don't take all the chaos from before that straight into private practice because we yeah. take ourselves. And for me, there was that... Um, frenetic energy that I had at the clinic that I took into private practice as well. And I had to sit with that a bit and go, actually, I want to build something different here. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And Kath, what, what were some of your tools? So you mentioned community, so that building a network, building community was a big part of setting up your private practice in the way that you wanted to. What else was helpful? Um, definitely sort of unpacking the different aspects of the business. So but what I quite early on figured out was that I had a lot of roles to play in um, in my own business. So, I mean, I, I have the uh, fortune that my husband is in, in a business, so I kind of have a model there. But what I realized was that I need to understand, like, in order for my business to work, I have to be able to manage the finances of that business and understand the accounting. And I have to understand that I'm not going to get business unless I market myself in different ways. And so to understand that field. And so in the early days, um, I think where I channeled some of that frenetic energy and, and some of that um, kind of wanting to keep it busy, because I think that was definitely for me a quite an anxiety provoking thing when you don't have a lot of clients is um, trying to maintain some sort of like a work life balance when you're not necessarily doing like paid work. Mm. Um, how I felt that time was in doing a lot of research around different business practices and establishing systems and things like that for my business, kind of planning with the end in mind, like where I wanted to get to. Um, and putting those things in place. So that was very, very helpful in the early stages, especially because as you start to get more busy, and you'll know this, you don't have so much time for like the the basic systems. So that was really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I kind of miss that part where you have days where you can figure these things out and um, going from that like therapist role so that your primary role is delivering the therapy to actually I have to understand the accounting, I have to understand the business side of things, the marketing side of things. And I find that really exciting. But right now, there isn't a lot of time for that because mm. we have busy practices. Yes. And um, Kath, so I also wanted to share with the audience a little bit about the way that you work and that you have a home-based private practice. And yeah, how, how does that work? How, how did you set that up? How did you decide on that in the first place? Um, so I decided on that in the first place because what I found was happening, I mean, one of my primary things in terms of how I wanted my practice to look was, was very flexible. So, um, so that I have autonomy over my schedule at all times and I can fit my practice in and around my other duties as a mom and, um, you know, and, and things that I need to do for myself, my own self-care. So what I found, because I've, I've dabbled in both, I have had a practice uh, space as well, um, and I may go back to having a practice space at some point in my career, but what I found was um, 
that I wasn't utilizing the practice space effectively. And so it ended up being quite an expensive thing. And mm. I found that because I'd sort of started that way, offering to meet with clients at a neutral location or meet with them at their home as I was building things up, because I, I really only started with one or two clients, um, you know. So I found that their attendance was better when I went I went to them because working in mental health that people are very quick to cancel an appointment if they're not feeling well or if the stars don't align um, with you know you know people struggle to organize themselves as part of a mental health <laughs> diagnosis so as the OT you know I often find that it's it's easier for me to meet them where they're at rather than having them come to me just from a timing and scheduling point of view. So for me, it's um, it's both beneficial to the client, but also suits my schedule and my way of working really well. Um, from a cost-effective point of view, it really doesn't um, pay any more when you are very busy to do that, to do it that way. I spend a lot of time traveling between clients, um, so which is time that if I had a practice space, I could probably see more clients within a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with the increase in petrol price, that's quite a significant cost. But yeah, for me, uh, when I do the cost, uh, in what do you call it? A cost? Like a analysis? cost analysis? Yes, a cost yeah. benefit analysis. <laughs> yes, mm. when I do the cost benefit analysis, for me, it still comes out at this point more of a benefit than a cost. But I can't say for somebody else that it would be the way mm. that they would want to practice. It just mm. works for me. Yeah, and I, I love that you're saying that because I think often the the clients that I work with who are setting up private practice and who I'm coaching and that want the answer. So what is the best way of doing it? And there actually is no kind of universal best way of doing it. So your cost-benefit analysis and my cost-benefit analysis, we all have to kind of sit down and figure that out and what is important for us and our situation. And I love that you were led by like the value of I wanted to be flexible and that's how you made it work and someone else might want something different and that's okay and part of this podcast is giving people permission to do that to to take not only this is the template of doing this but what do I need how can I do this in a sustainable way and take care of myself my family you know whoever's involved um and I know that's one of your values as well really working around taking care of yourself as well um, a trauma-informed approach do you want to share a little bit more about that yeah so um again when it comes into I could if I can have anything um and and everything that's my kind of that's my motto mm-hmm. motto I will have anything and everything that I desire and um, for me part of my everything is really recognizing um that I cannot give of myself to my family or to my clients unless my cup is full um, and overflowing. And so part of from a very early start. Full and overflowing. I love that you said that. <laughs> love that. It has to be overflow for the other people. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, from a very early part in my practice, I think um, doing self-care and making sure that I'm okay um, was just really integral um, because I didn't have the support of that team that I'd had in the clinic setting, which I found just was so good for my well-being. Um, I needed to find other ways to practice self-care 
and to find my equilibrium so that then I can offer myself in various ways. So yeah, mm-hmm. so that those types of practices I do, I in terms of like a trauma informed approach, um, I, I'm really interested in the body connection with the mind. And so um, not only with my clients, but also for myself, I love practicing different types of somatic therapies. Um, I, I keep a, a very strong handle on my sensory diet, which you all know all about. Mm. Um, so yeah, so just being very also self-aware and um, self-compassionate. I think if I think about what are the values of the way that I practice for me, building a relationship with oneself and really caring for and nurturing the self is sort of at the crux of everything that I do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that as a therapist, that is our primary resource. So we, that therapeutic use of self, we are the primary therapeutic tool Mm. and relationship with ourselves cannot happen or relationship with our clients can't happen if we don't have relationship with ourselves. Um, And I don't know if you remember this, but it was initially must have been when we both started our private practices and you'd say to me that I think you said something like going to the gym or exercising is part of your work hours and I like that just kind of blew my mind I was like oh wow are we allowed to do that I'm allowed so I'm working and that I'm actually going for a run or going to the gym or something and I yeah that that was such a profound moment for me as well yeah yeah and I, I still do that like I will schedule um what a, a massage in the middle of my work day <laughs> sometimes yeah. yeah yeah that's amazing and that's part of why we do this so that we can and sometimes it's just giving ourselves well for me it was about giving myself permission and I don't feel guilty about it now but I used to in the past so yeah it's an evolution it's it's really an evolution of asking yourself a series of questions um mm. and yeah and keeping asking yourself like is this working for me are these mm. the things that I want um yeah mm. So, Kath, we are going to have a separate interview around healing spaces specifically because that's a whole different story on its own. But maybe you just want to tell the audience quickly about your involvement in healing spaces and um, what what does that look like currently? Okay. So healing spaces wellness has also been an evolution. And I think when you chat with Marlene, um, either it would have been before or after this podcast is aired. I'm not sure of the schedule, but... Um, she will speak more to the evolution of <laughs> healing spaces wellness, mm. but but currently, um, so obviously I run I run my own private practice, which we've, we've spoken quite a bit about, and I employ an OT who works with me, um, seeing individual clients with from that practice, and healing spaces has become a platform for a mental health community. So, like I spoke about, how important relationships have been to me and my support system. Um, one of the things that I wanted to translate from the work that I'd done in the clinic setting and the outpatient program there, and then collaborating with yourself and Marlene, who were at that time um, in the in the private sector, working at Crescent and having your outpatient program, was really creating an outpatient space for mental health care users to come and gather together to heal in different ways. Mm. 
And so, yeah, Healing Spaces Wellness offers group programs, we offer workshops, we offer retreats, and it's all very experiential based. Um, all, like I said, with the, the, the way that I work in my private practice, all trauma-informed and looking at the person holistically, so mind, body, and spirit, and understanding that healing happens on all those different levels, and um, all those different, different, different levels need to be addressed at some, in some way, or, or you need to hold space for people in some way to, to, to work with all the different you know, aspects of themselves. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I've also watched, uh, loved watching Healing Spaces evolve and how you guys are so willing to pivot and make changes and try different things and be curious and respond to the needs of the clients. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful journey. One of the things that has, has started to become really pro- prominent for me as my um, individual practice and also also Healing Spaces has grown um, has been that not only can we not have every not only can we have anything but not everything we also cannot do anything but not do everything so <laughs> so I think what has really started to happen for me is in the doing side um understanding what are the things that I do well, what are the things that I love doing, um, and collaborating with others to, to offer a wider service without having to do all the things. Um, and so, yeah, so one of the, the growth points for Healing Spaces at the moment is looking for practitioners who align with our values um, and who are passionate about bringing uh, mental health to a community of individuals at a group level um, and offering a variety of different things. Um, so people bringing you know, in their ideas of what they would love to offer um, and, and collaborating and doing it through our platform. So yeah, that's, I'm very excited about, about moving into that space. Mm, and I'm definitely going to put a link into the show notes on how to contact you guys and be part of Healing Spaces Wellness. And that kind of leads me to what I also wanted to speak to you about is this thing of, I guess, kind of like competition and where we often face with this, um, oh, my word, someone else is already doing that. Or maybe is that the scope of the psychologist or is someone going to feel like I'm stepping on their toes or I shouldn't do it because someone else is already doing it. And I think you you firmly believe this and I also firmly believe this, that we're we're not for everyone and we don't like have to be everything and and we have our different strengths and that there's actually more than enough need out there and I was just yeah wondering if you've kind of come across that and how you navigate that and I know what Healing Spaces is offering right now is maybe part of a solution or an answer to that as well. Mm. Yeah I definitely would say I've come across that not as much happily in the mental health space I think. Oh yeah I love that awesome. I think other OTs in other realms have experienced it a lot more acutely than we have in mental health. But I think that you can't, you can't help having that kind of imposter syndrome as you are venturing out into your own practice or into your own space. It's like, it's a kind of natural human reaction, I think, to putting oneself out there. It's like, oh my word, that other person's doing that exact same thing or... Um, you know, how am I going to get clients if 
if you know this person's whatever advertising this thing um so how have i navigated that i think it ebbs and flows um sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie i still get like a wrenching feeling in my gut when someone puts out something that like you know you're just about to launch something and then someone puts out something i, I love you like, honestly because oh, it absolutely yeah. still happens to me as well <laughs> absolutely <laughs> But on a deeper level, I recognize, and, and like you, you, you said, like I recognize that, you know, there are clients that really resonate with the way that I offer therapy um, and I'm not for everyone and everyone is not for me. Um, and so I just, I, I really just have to trust in the universe and it's it served me well so far. So, yeah. mm, I love that as we kind of become more experienced, we can recognize these things because the imposter mm. syndrome is still there for me and kind of shows up at the funniest times but I've also started to be able to recognize okay that's what this is and as you say like if you just sit with it for a bit on a deeper level knowing that there are these truths that even though your mind is saying something different it'll be okay and it is okay yes yes absolutely um and I really love collaborating with other people um I love that there are people who are um, as passionate about mental health and about OT as I am. And you know, everyone is so diverse in their way of looking at things and, and what they love practicing that, you know, I, I just think the more the merrier, that really is my philosophy. <laughs> like the more of us that are doing these things, and speaking about it, the more people will get excited about it and the more people will want to join these things. There's still, I mean, I don't know if you find this, but there's still quite a large hesitance in our clients in terms of joining group programs or mm. um, putting one, putting themselves into therapeutic settings, particularly when it involves other people. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think in in the step out program that I'm doing with Louise, that's part of what we're navigating, part of what we're hoping to just make group services more accessible, more normal, mm-hmm. that there's, whether yeah. I am an individual therapy or in group therapy. And actually, some of the research shows that groups sometimes work faster and better yes, than individual absolutely. therapy. Oh, we know that as, as a therapist, but yeah, to, to portray that to clients. So I feel like the more people who are offering groups, um, the more people who are attending groups, you know, it's just, it's really good for everyone's business at the end of the day. And it's really good yep. for people being helped at the end of the day, because, you know, oftentimes, like you say, a group, does work quicker and and is more effective sometimes than than an individual therapy process which can mm. take a really long time for someone to come to the same insights that they get from an experiential mm. group process for example. Yeah. yeah and that idea of the more the merrier for me that expands past just OTs I love when I find someone who's passionate about eating disorders you know if it's a dietitian if it's a psychologist um, someone who's passionate about groups no matter what their profession and finding, I think Healing Spaces speaks a lot about like your tribe, your people yes. that are passionate about the same thing as well. Yeah, definitely. And Kath, um, as we get to the end of this, I want to ask you if you had to give advice to um, whether it's a younger OT or mental health therapist starting out or someone who's kind of faced with 
should I stay or should I start private practice or should I do this thing? Um, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe sitting with a bit of anxiety or imposter syndrome or self-doubt? Hmm. I would, the advice I would give to them is find ways of tapping into your intuition about it. Um, anxiety is a head-based questioning um, and when like with that with that saying I just it like hit me in a, at a body level that I knew that I was going to change something um, and so for me my go-to practices are find a way of your body telling you what is the right thing for you to do next and follow mm. your heart rather than your head mm. um, and, and if, say more about if, how you do that. What are what are kind of specific practices? I'm also a very head-based person, so I struggle to drop mm. into my body and into my tuition. So um, practices like, uh, let me think, a very very uh, simple one is, is just hand-to-heart. So just sitting and deep breathing and hand-on-heart um, and really just dropping into your body and out of your head asking yourself a question, sometimes having somebody else ask you a question. Um, I, I love using um, oracle cards as well to help me to come to a, a deeper insight in terms of my intuition, journaling, um, and also just taking taking space. So getting away from the thing. Like for me, sometimes just taking a walk and being mindful of my surroundings and getting back into my body, so like doing some introspection, you know what that is, like feeling the inside of your body and not like trying to get caught up in your mind. Um, doing all of those things and, and really just feeling into what feels right. It's, it's, it's really difficult to explain, um, but I think... When we when we know in our heart that just that something is right and we just keep following it, we will get there. Um, it does take time. It does. It is not always easy. Um, but if it's really something in your heart that you feel is right, don't give it up. Mm. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that wisdom. And I I love spending time with you because you really have such a calming energy and such a grounding energy um Catherine if there is someone who wants to either um see you as for therapy or wants to refer someone or wants to reach out to healing spaces what are the easiest ways to connect with you so definitely um by email because obviously being a busy practice and um being clinicians we often are in client in sessions with clients or whatever so um, we've got two email addresses, info at healingspaceswellness.co.za is our sort of main inbox. And then you can contact me directly at cath at healingspaceswellness.co.za. Um, otherwise, we have our WhatsApp um, business number, um, 0766-114229. So just drop me a WhatsApp and yeah, I generally get awesome. back to people by email or WhatsApp within kind of a working day or two yeah mm. awesome thank you and I'll definitely put those in the show notes as well I often say to people I never answer my phone so 
please don't phone or WhatsApp. Yeah, or I also never answer my phone. So yeah, a phone call is not the best way to get in touch with yeah. me. Yeah. And the one time you answer your phone, it's like the insurance or something. So yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Kath. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and your time with us. Um, yeah, it's just lovely spending time with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you.